0: Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Richard Deitch. My producer, as always, is Lou Pellegrino. Our guest this week is a very familiar voice. It is John O'Rand of the Sports Business Daily and Journal. Their media reporter, he's been a guest on this podcast. And the podcast I had at Sports Illustrated, probably more than any other guest. And today, as part of our media discussion roundtable, John is a solo guest. So he's not sharing the spotlight with uh, with a Jamel Hill or a Kate Abdo or Troy Aikman. Or anyone else. It is John O'Rand in the spotlight, in the A chair. John, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Boy, that is what a what an opening that is. I, I can't. I got to live up to that. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Pellegrino's there too, so I guess it could be all of us. But um, yeah, Lou, jump in uh, whenever I start to the flounder. <laughs> um, there's a lot to get to because you have been very busy from interviewing Jimmy Pitaro at conferences to uh, I know you're now part of the Around the Horn PR team. So <laughs> we we have a lot we have a lot to get to. But first off, here's where I want to start with. Um, I want to start with NFL ratings because this has really been an incredible success story, and we. When you, we, we, we have talked on multiple podcasts about this, including this one. And if I remember correctly, both of us thought that NFL ratings would go down this year. I think both of us thought they wouldn't go down a ton, but we were, you know, we both thought that, um, given just the trends of last year, uh, having, at least in my opinion, you know, nothing to do with, with Kaepernick or anything else. It just, you know, I I thought the dynamics of television, um, we're going to lead the NFL to continue to go down. That has not been the case this week, uh, this year. Um, NFL ratings, uh, have risen. They rose again in week seven outside, I think, of ESPN. Um, overnights are up year over year, I think in all seven weeks of the season. So that's sort of the precursor to this. My thought, John, very quickly, and then I'll let you have the floor, is that, um, it really comes down to a couple of things, but nothing is bigger than one the influx of young quarterbacks in the league because the league markets quarterbacks. That's how the league sells its sport. Breeze versus Brady, Manning uh, versus Brady, um, you know, even going back to the old days, Marino versus Elway, et cetera. And there's, there's a really good crop of young quarterbacks that are interesting the Baker Mayfields, Pat Mahomes, Jared Goffs, et cetera, that are interesting to people beyond their local markets. So that's one. And then the second big thing, obviously, is the games have been really good in the national windows—really competitive, exciting games. You combine those two forces, and you get a surprise increase in ratings. I'll now leave the floor to you. What? Why do you? So let's start there. Why do you think this has happened?
1: Uh, well, I, I have two reasons mainly. Um, well, three, because I think you're right. I think the games have been competitive, especially the high, highest profile games, and, and that that always helps the rating. But it, to me, it's more than than just the young quarterbacks because there have always been young quarterbacks. I think the NFL has made certain rule changes that have embraced offense, and offense just rates a whole lot better. I mean, you, you people uh, by and large will watch more if it's a forty-two to forty game than if it's a seven to three game. Um, and so I, I think you know a lot of the complaints that, that that you're hearing this season about you know you can't tackle the quarterback and defensive backs can't touch the receivers you know when they're in in uh in the field on the field that's helping just a scoring go up it's helping them march up and down the uh, uh down the field and it creates a team like like the chiefs We're in the middle of a blowout game on sunday and I was just watching till the end because like it's just a i i've never seen i haven't seen that in decades just a team that's as offensively loaded and with a game plan that the other side can't seem to figure out. So I I think and and, and talking to various TV executives that's number 1 on everybody's list it's just offense. And 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 I think when you said young quarterbacks that that fits right in with that Cause, so now you know, you know, uh Mahomes of uh, of Kansas City and and um god I'm drawing a blank now but uh, uh Baker Mayfield of Cleveland well, Yeah, you know. Baker
0: Mayfield, Goff, um you know, Sam Darnold, there's Josh Allen and Buffalo a little bit. I mean, you know, we can name all the sort of uh, first-round quarterbacks this year and then sort of the youngish quarterbacks like Carson Wentz and Pat Mahomes, et cetera. John, how much do you think, uh, if at all, there's a gambling aspect in this with more legalized gambling in the States, more attention this year, even if it's a slight uptick with NFL games?
1: Yeah, there's no evidence uh, whatsoever. That That's a popular theory that I see, especially on Twitter. But the you know gambling isn't legal everywhere. It's still legal only in certain areas, and uh, the, nobody sees that as being a huge uh, benefit yet. But they they do suggest that that it will eventually become become one.
0: What about um, the? <laughs> I don't even know how you'd extrapolate it, but the, um, the 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 networks not airing the anthem, even though in years past they didn't necessarily air it either, except in the opening week a couple of years ago when the news story was there. Do you see any correlation or connection between how the networks have approached the um, uh, players uh, protesting social justice v- versus the numbers being increased this year?
1: I do, actually. And in fact, I did a story on this a couple of weeks ago. And a couple of people suggested that the people that were protesting the NFL, um, and and they, they do blame them for – there are a million reasons for why – Ratings went down just like there are a million reasons for why ratings are up, and one of the reasons was you know some of the uh, people boycotting the NFL because of the player protests. Well, one of the uh, a couple of the people that I spoke to said all those people left the NFL, and whether they came back or not doesn't matter. But you're you're now operating off a of base where they're not there, so that the idea of of more boycotts or it's not hurting the ratings anymore. It would have hurt it in the first year or the second year, and so they're they're seeing a little bit. They're just getting back to football and the game on the field, and and having this be, you know, everybody just wants a, an escape from from politics and our reality, and you know, here's football to make that escape, and that's really what the TV executives are trying to create, uh, and I think that's what you're seeing too.
0: Do you see this um, lasting the last nine weeks, ten weeks of the regular season? Um, one of the things that does happen, John, as you know, and both of us. Uh, Who've written about this for a long time and you know, people like your colleague Austin Karp and Anthony Krupi are really, really in the weeds on this. You do generally speaking, late in the year, need some of the heavy viewership teams, particularly the Cowboys, to be competitive. You know, you want some of these windows late in the year to have meaning. So even if you have flex out, you know, you're flexing into something great. My sense is that I think the numbers are gonna drop a tick, but I think they'll be up for the year as I sort of look at the trend right now, what do you think when we get to week 16?
1: Uh, My guess is that they're going to be, be flatter up, which in TV terms is a, is a huge victory for, for the NFL. Um, I think that, you know, the the Cowboys have to start winning uh, for for them. And I also think that they uh, um, have just have good storylines going through there. I think the chiefs are a good storyline. I think that, you know, the Patriots and, and whether they're they're going to rebound is a good storyline, I think, the play that's happening in Chicago uh, and, and where they're all of a sudden a really competitive team right now and the TV ratings in Chicago, you know, the third largest TV market in, in the country, are through the roof, which is uh, helping yeah. the overall ratings as well.
0: All right, Joe, one other NFL thing I want to hit on, um, because this is now, um, feels like it's getting louder and, and I don't want to over, I don't want to sort of oversell it because me and you read far too much sports media copy, so there's no doubt that when we think something is big, it might not necessarily be clearly as big to the to the, even the rest of the sports reading public. That said, I've been seeing more and more pieces, it feels like, on Monday Night Football, and basically complaints about the Monday Night Football booth. Um, some of the things that people have written about, I think we're going to be pretty clear from the beginning of the year, and that is Jason Witten really is walking to a, into a job that he could use a year of reps elsewhere before he walked into. It's just, it is, it is essentially the rarest of diamonds for somebody to do what Tony Romo did. And that has not been the case with Witten. There are complaints about how the, um, you know, how the sort of the setup is with Burger McFarland outside of the booth, Witten inside of the booth. There are people who don't particularly like Joe Tessitore's style. I'm one who does, but you know, that's all subjective, but it feels like to me, John, that ESPN has two problems now. One, I think the general public doesn't particularly love this broadcast. I think that's fair to say. And the second thing is, they're not getting bad press about it. I think they're going to hold firm and keep this team at least for another year. But when you are looking this from, you know, 10,000-seat uh, view, what's your take right now on Monday Night Football?
1: Boy, they did. Uh, ESPN did no favors to the Monday Night Football crew on this. I mean, they, everybody brings up Romo. Well, Romo did it. Well, Romo had has one of the best all-time play-by-play people with him that knows how to set him up, knows how to work with people. He's worked with uh, tons of analysts, and I'm talking about Jim Nance, of course. And and, right. and he, he also has, you know, the, they're the Tiffany Network. Do they still call him that? I think so. But but They do, it, yeah. yeah. They have the, the, uh, among the best NFL productions. They've been doing it for a long time and they're complete pros. So so Tony Romo came and was inserted in place of Phil Simms and 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 did great. ESPN, they have a new play-by-play guy, they have a new uh a color analyst, they have uh, you know uh, they're adding a third person in there that's brand new. They have a new uh, everything's new. It's a, and and it's impossible. So so you know Joe T, who I think is doing a, a pretty nice job, is trying to 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 feel his way around. Witten doesn't have a Jim Nance or or, or you know uh, uh, you, you know the the best production people that are trying to to, to help him out there and then uh, uh, Boger McFarlane as well is is sort of you know he's just trying they're all just acting on instinct so I I think you know I asked that I did ask this to uh, Jimmy Pataro and he he just said that you know they're better than they were when they started he expects that they'll continue to get better and you know we'll see tweaks but you know he he likes where they are. But it, one thing that's a big problem is Tony Romo, when he stepped into things, he got positive press from the get-go. Here, yep. uh, Witten got negative press from the get-go, and now it's like this ball of momentum where everybody's picking out his, his you know, every mistake that, that he made that or that, that he makes. And it's so hard to get out from under that. I mean, we saw that with... Uh, um, who's a rules analyst at CBS? Mike, Mike Carey
0: of CBS. Perfect Mike example. Carey made a
1: couple of mistakes early and then he couldn't get anything right after that. It was just this ball of momentum that that, that killed him there. And uh, that's what I worry about for uh, for Jason Witten.
0: It's an excellent point. I would just say two things. The, the booth is off. It's off a tick at least. Um, and I, I don't, you know, how do I sort of phrase this? I th- and I think ultimately the reason is and it's a pretty obvious one. They have a, they have a, a chair analyst, a top analyst who is not used to television. And that's going to, you know, we're sort of seeing him work through his, um, his, you know, sort of indoctrination of television in real time in one of the most important windows in the NFL. Now I'm one who I'm not particularly sure Jason Witten's ever going to be, at least for me, a great analyst. I do think he will certainly be better next year, but I think that's, that's ultimately what we're seeing is we're seeing in real time a guy who just needs a lot more reps for that kind of mega production. Um, I have said on this podcast, certainly on Twitter and certainly in columns, and I'll say it again, in my, if it was up to me, and it clearly is not, Lewis Riddick would be the Monday Night Football analyst. To me, he's the best analyst at ESPN. He's television ready. And I think you would have had a great broadcast, but we'll sort of leave it there. Um, the World Series, John. Uh, is, to me, really, really promising for Fox, and it, that goes without saying. You have the Dodgers and the Red Sox, West Coast, East Coast, two historic teams, uh, teams that have not met, I think, you might know this better than me, something like 70 years or something to that effect. If I have that wrong, I apologize. Um, you have stars on both teams, at least in baseball, you know, from Kershaw, Machado, sorry, John, I know you're a nose fan, to uh, Betts, uh, Chris Sale. So if this thing can get some length, I think Fox is going to hit it out of the park with viewership numbers. I know I read today in Sports Business Daily that postseason MLB viewership is down right now. But, I mean, unless this thing is a four-game sweep and we're talking about blowouts in every game, I think this is going to be one of the great World Series, at least in terms of viewership, for, um, for Fox in the last decade. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's so hard to predict because if it goes four or five games and the Red Sox, you know, run roughshod over the Dodgers, you know, viewership isn't going to be what it should be. But if they go, if they go six games or seven games, this will be, uh, you know, this will rival what the, you know, Cubs and the Indians did a couple of years ago, and they'll get a a fantastic number. I mean, Boston carries all of New England, and they're a, they're a yeah. national team now uh, now as well you know l a the dodgers of course carry up all of l a and they just have you know known personalities on that team people th- th- these are people that transcend the sport and and casual sports fans know who know who they are i mean you just you just rattled off a bunch of'em and uh and m- more than that it's just these traditional uh baseball brands the Red sox and the dodgers i mean they it just it evokes memories it goes way back um uh you know if it goes six or seven it's going to be great if it goes four or five then it'll still be okay but it's you know it won't be nearly as good obviously
0: yeah and one thing i i want to just say um and if i'm looking up this here i think uh the cubs indians averaged 23.4 million thank you douglas pucci a programming insider and the astros dodgers did a shade under 19 million those are good numbers but i feel like um I feel like if this series goes long, we can get we can see 17, 18, 19 million type. I think it could be a really good series.
1: Well, the way I look at it is Astros-Dodgers Astros went uh, seven games, I believe. Uh, if, if, this goes, if this goes seven games, Boston has much more of a national following than Yeah,
0: it, it'll be definitely. That if this goes seven, it's, I don't think it will be Cubs-Indians, but it will be closer to that than, um, than Astros-Dodgers. The one thing I will say is, I really want to give Fox some praise for this, Fox really figured out a couple of years ago, it's game broadcast when it comes to the World Series. Joe Buck, John Smoltz is a fantastic team. Um, I think I would rot put them in terms of a team, comparing them across sports with whoever you think is really great. You know, from the Michaels-Collinsworth, the Eagle-Fouts, uh, you know, whoever you think is, is sort of a top team in that sport. I put them right there. And they finally decided to invest in full-time baseball reporters who cover the sport on a yearly basis, Ken Rosenthal and Tom Berducci. So they have figured it out. Um, to me, John, that Fox has its best game broadcast crew they've ever had. And I think it um, last year it showed. I think it's a really, really good broadcast. People probably can have their own opinions on that pregame show. You know, if you like David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, uh, you're going to like that show. If you don't like those guys, you're not going to like it. But in terms of the game broadcast, just purely objectively, I, I think it's. Um, I think personally, I think it's Fox's best broadcast. I think they've done
1: a great job with that. Yeah, I was about to praise their pre- pre-game uh, studio show. You're, you don't think a lot of people like it there?
0: No, no, I do. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think um, I I, don't, I didn't mean to give you mischaracterization. No, I think it's excellent. Burkhart is a terrific host. I think that is to me that is Alex Rodriguez far and away his best form. Um, I don't think he's nearly as good in game. You know, I use the. Um, I use the analogy of you want Alex Rodriguez to almost be like a Brock, uh, Lesnar wrestler type where it, it's very special when he appears and there's nothing special if he's on every week, every Sunday. So you put him on that studio show where, you know, he's, he's on for two weeks, but it's a very, um, you know, sort of compressed two weeks. I think that show's excellent. I liked Keith Hernandez on there. I think Frank Thomas is fine. So yeah, I, I think that's, a I I really like that show. I, uh, um yeah, I didn't mean to give you the impression otherwise. I think they've got an excellent pregame show, too.
1: Yeah, and it was just a couple of years ago that they, they appeared to be sort of, you know, twisting in the wind a little bit. You know, they, they brought in yep. um, just a, a couple of – they, they ju- just tried a couple of different people that didn't really resonate. And I think that they, they have just launched onto something. And Joe Buck is a common denominator, and I think he calls – I, I just like the way he calls a game. Uh, and and Smoltz is just he, – he does, he does a great job, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you got to give Fox credit there. Fox has to be the weirdest organization, man. They hire some horrible people, but then on the other hand, they have some amazing people. It's uh, it's a Jekyll and Hyde of uh, television broadcasting, John. Um, so they, um, but no, the baseball is all props, all props to them. All right, John, let's move on to NBA viewership, um, and the numbers have been, I think, really interesting early uh, early season. That first opening night game, if you remember. Was way down. I think Turner had that, but the overnights were really, really down. Uh, it was down from obviously the Celtics, Cavs the year before, and um, I forgot. I think it was Celtics Sixers who opened the season this year on Turner. If I, I apologize if I'm wrong on that, but the, the numbers were just really, really down. And there was a lot, you know, people out there going, "Oh my God, the NBA, uh, you know, ratings are going to tank this year." And then all of a sudden, the West Coast games over, the, over the, um, over the next couple of. Uh, days were really, really good. Obviously, uh, the LeBron James factor is going to be huge. When I talked to your colleague, Austin, I think the thing we both agreed on was that the East Coast games of the early doubleheader are going to be down because outside of Boston, you don't really have many great big market teams that they can rally around. You obviously have no LeBron. You know, the Knicks are not very good. The Bulls are not very good. You know, Toronto's good, but you don't get credit for that market in the U.S., And Miami's not that great. So they got some issues. But the West is going to be incredible. You know, you got LeBron in Los Angeles. You already have Golden State, another great TV team. So I think the thing I was talking about with Austin was, can you over-index on these late-night double headers enough where you can keep the overall ratings flat or up? Because you're going to lose a ton on the East Coast because there's no LeBron. What do you make of all this... uh, uh, in terms of where the NBA ratings might be, with the gigantic move of LeBron James going from Cleveland to LA,
1: you know, I'm I, the way I look at at um, the NBA has less to do with sort of east and west. Although I understand, I understand why people uh, go that route. To me, it's all about storylines, and because you have teams like Oklahoma City from a, a teeny market that is one of the best rated um, nationally, uh, one of the best rated teams out there because they just have they've always had great stories from when Durant was there to when Durant left you know and and, uh, and so i think that this year just going to into the season and from the all of the free agency that happened there are just a a, a billion good storylines that if they go through i mean look look if the lakers start out 0 and 30 you know i mean what are they 0 and 3 now then you know then they <laughs> yeah, might totally. have then they might have some problems you know and and if your boys up there in uh in Toronto keep winning then they, they they might end up with some problems because that's not great for for television ratings. Um yeah. but but I think that you have good storylines in the east. I think anything happening around uh Boston is a, is going to uh, produce a storyline. I think having the Celtics be good, you know, they're they're such a, a a traditional NBA brand of a team. You know that 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 always helps matters. You have good young players and in Milwaukee, I still think the uh, the Wizards play in an, uh, an up and down offensive style that, that that that's pretty good. And then in the West, you just have so many different storylines going uh, coursing through that you know I I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all to see uh, NBA ratings go up or continue to increase.
0: Essentially, by the way, speaking of the Wizards, you basically uh, the, the, uh, Scott Brooks should just figure out a way to get Bradley Beal mad. Because Bradley Beal mad is just essentially unstoppable, as he was in that uh, Raptors game the other day before the Raps finally won. Um, here's the one thing, John, though, and a lot's been written about this. You know, I'm a huge basketball fan. It's probably my favorite sport to watch. So I'm gonna stay up till one fifteen to watch the end of you know Lakers Nuggets, Lakers Jazz. But you do wonder how many even diehards on the East Coast are gonna stay up so that Turner and ESPN get that rating.
1: Um, Let me interrupt I, you for a second. I, it, go uh, ahead. We're, we're doing this pod now on Tuesday afternoon, Monday night, 1 o'clock Eastern, the uh, the, um, uh, the Lakers went into overtime against the, the Spurs. Did you, did you stay up and watch that?
0: I fell asleep. Fell asleep really? at the 1245. Yeah, I wanted to because I love uh, watching DeMar, but, yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it.
1: I thought, See, I, the, I was uh, the Wizards were playing in Portland. Uh, and I'm a big Wizards fan. Live in D.C. I stayed up to watch that, Then went over to NBA TV. Caught the end of the the Lakers game, and I am nice. paying for it today. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 going to be tough to continue this for for a full season right, if you live on the you, East Coast. <laughs> you did see LeBron hit a nice three pointer. Uh, yeah, put, I saw I saw clank one at, to... at the at the end of the game in uh, overtime. Yeah. The.
0: Um... Yeah, that's I mean, I think it's a legitimate question as to how many East Coast fans can do it. That said, I, I don't like East Coast bias and like, hey, you know, you're not changing the game time for fans in LA. So we'll see if um we'll see if the West can overindex, but the reality is most of you would know this better than me, John. I mean, the majority of the country does live west of I'm sorry, uh, east of the Mississippi River, and that's where you get your heavier um you know, heavier influx because of markets. So yeah, I do this. I do do the
1: story once every like five years, but ratings increase as the night goes on. So that right that by, by 11, eleven eleven thirty, the ratings are actually at, at their highest in, in, in an individual game. So if they they play straight through, then I, I think that you can see that build, and and it w- won't have you know too much of an effect.
0: Do they drop the you since you did that story? Do they drop after twelve thirty a.m. in the East? Is there a line? Does it? If there is it, if a it line peaks, where they drop. Say, if
1: it goes on too late, okay. it'll drop. So I I, I, okay. I, I guarantee you, not not too many people were up on, on the East Coast at uh, at one o'clock watching that game. Uh, and according gotcha. to my Twitter feed, not a lot were either. I mean, there were. It wasn't really going crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, again, I'm not one who you know even with kids I've never been one to like sort of mushnick it up and say oh no oh the world is falling down because you got to stay up till 11:30 till you know watching sports is a, it's a privilege it's not a, it's not an inalienable right and so that is sometimes as part of the deal you got to stay up but that's going to be an interesting an interesting one to watch um all right let us since we're doing rapid fire here john let us move on to ESPN and Sports Business Daily/Journal had a conference not too long ago where Jimmy Pitaro was one of the main main people being interviewed. What for, for some pub purposes, John, what was that conference called? What was the name of that
1: conference? It's our annual conference. We have it uh, every uh, fall, in October and November. It's called the Sports Media and Technology Conference.
0: Okay. Very, very prominent conference. John O'Rand interviews ESPN president Jimmy Pataro. This will be my aside, John, to now say, I believe I asked Chris LaPlaca, the head of ESPN PR, for an interview with Jimmy Pataro. I believe it was either July or August. What day? What day is it today, John? October <laughs> twenty third, twenty 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 eighteen. Maybe that one got lost in the mail. Uh, I, I I did say there was no deadline on it. Apparently, ESPN PR took that seriously. No deadline. Um, so you spoke to Jimmy Pataro about a number of things.
1: By the and way, so in my I... in my head, I just have this image of Laplaca's assistant furiously typing uh, transcript to to this uh, pod. So nice nicely done, Rich.
0: Yeah, someone once told me CAA occasionally types the transcript <laughs> to this pod. So I guess I should you know, take that as a badge of honor in a very niche podcast. Um, but uh, so before I ask you some specifics about Pataro, what what stood out to you? Because you really, and to your credit, you guys covered a lot of topics. It wasn't a one-note interview. You you went to a lot of different places.
1: You know, it's impossible to talk about Jimmy Pataro without uh, talking about John Skipper and and so John Skipper has spoken at that conference before you know I've interviewed him um and you know he owns the room and he's engaging and he's funny i mean he's a journalist dream he uh, he he uh answers with a smile he tells jokes he speaks with a plum uh Jimmy Pataro is hearkening back almost to George Bodenheimer and he, he, it, it t- to me it just seems like Jimmy Pataro is no drama and he has a you know he he displayed a, a good personality he, he, he told a couple of uh, you know jokes here or there but didn't necessarily command the room in the same sense that that, that skipper did and so uh, again to me to repeat myself i think he's coming in and it's just you know un- under his rule there's going to be no drama. It's just going to be we're going to be focused on the business and we're going to be focused on moving the business forward. Which Skipper was too, but he had he 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 sort of went sideways here and there and and uh, and invited that. Jimmy Pitaro is not going to go sideways.
0: That's that's uh, I think that's a really good assessment. All right, let's let's take one of the headlines and that was Petaro talking about uh, politics and both he and Bob Iger saying that they saw some data that. Um, that people did not want to see the nexus of politics or, or too much of the nexus of politics and sports on ESPN. So i got a couple things to sort of say here. Uh, one, I believe them. I have no doubt that there was data that they saw that um, showed that. Two, I might have underestimated um, the amount of people who were upset by that. Um, and so I'll sort of acknowledge that and say that here on the, um, this podcast. But, and this is sort of the one that's uh, where I want to get you on, I do think there is a very important thing that Pataro is doing, and he is signaling to the marketplace that he wants to get away from any of these issues that clearly were being written about of his organization, both in good faith and, by the way, in massive bad faith. Because a lot of times there were things written, particularly in right-wing media, which would jump on stuff about ESPN that was just not true, it was patently not patently not true, sort of about politics airing on their network as opposed to political talk or social justice airing on people's Twitter feeds. And there's a big difference in that. So I wanted to just get your take of what you made of Pataro's um, politics. And then lastly, I realize I'm doing a little filibuster here, but I, I want you to go long after I talk. I think Jimmy Pataro is – how do i sort of phrase this without sort of really being over the top critical of him i think he's playing a little be speak and fast and loose john this is something he said to you where he's saying that we don't we we want to avoid politics we want to be an escape for um for fans but we of course are going to cover when there's important sports sto- uh, sports stories where the nexus of politics come up he in my opinion john wants to have his cake and eat it too and to me, you're either an editorial organization that covers this stuff or you're the E and ESPN and entertainment. Now, I may have a different view than you on this, but when I heard him say that, that to me just felt like kind of gobbledygook BS, speak BS. The floor is now yours. Your thoughts yeah, on your I, interview th- th- with him? This
1: is one area where you and I have always had a, a little bit of a disagreement uh, on here, which is uh, – th- this is almost like our speak-for-yourself moment, I think, yeah. Richard. Yeah. But the <laughs> they, to, to, to me, um, uh, I think that there are business executives at ESPN that take a look at the way that NBC and Fox and CBS cover games, and they just they just say, "Why can't we? Why don't they have the same problems with this than than we have?" And I think part of the problem, part of the reason was that they had an uh, an overall president in John Skipper who comes from an editorial background. And it's like, yeah, of course, we're going to we're going to cover everything that even tangentially, you know, um, uh, affects the games. And uh, mm-hmm. and when they were making that decision, there was a big group of people underneath uh, John Skipper that were like, no, let's you know, we don't need to talk about. Uh, the president, or we don't need to talk about, you know, uh, Congress, you know, we can talk about uh, the the protests during the anthem. And we can talk about, you know, um, when you know, when uh, I think the example that Pitaro gave was when Tiger talked about Trump, we can talk about that, because that's that's a pretty obvious intersection. And there's no gray area there. But but you know, having people on on their Twitter feeds, or on air or on on ESPN.com, sort of nakedly talk about politics is you know not where um not where ESPN wants to be and uh, and what what you know their viewpoint is is that if there is somebody that just can't abide by that they like look this is important to me I feel like I really need to talk about it they have an outlet for that in in ABC news I mean they don't talk they don't necessarily talk about sports all the time on uh, on ABC news and so they can f- funnel people over there as well uh, and so I think that this is really trying to get ESPN back in line with every other major sports media company in the United States, than uh, than sort of blazing a new trail.
0: So here, are a couple things, John, uh, and I appreciate that, and we do we sort of do disagree on that. Um, and I'm one who, and again, I sort of make it, I've made my sort of feelings very known about certainly in the current president, but but I am one who believes, especially on your Twitter feed, that your Twitter feed is first and foremost you. And it, and, it, and it is your company's second. But that said, there are other places, John, where we have seen um, personalities use their Twitter feed for politics, including a number of people who work for Fox FS1. What's your thought about – what does Fox look at that differently? In, in, or is it just because ESPN is far and away the biggest dog on the block that ESPN, when, when a Jamel Hill does it, it's going to be written about. When somebody at Fox does it, it's just not going to get the same kind of attention.
1: And so, so an example with uh, FS one is it like a Clay Travis example there?
0: Yeah, or or um, or Jason Whitlock or others who have um, at least delved into uh, places beyond sports. You know the Kavanaugh hearings or whatever, whatever you know, whatever else is the the talk of the day. And I'm by, by the way, whether I agree with or disagree with their assessment, I'm one who believes they should have the right to do that and should not necessarily fear getting in trouble from their employer, even if I personally disagree with what they say on there.
1: Yeah. So the viewpoint of ESPN is that the people on their Twitter feed, you know, it's their Twitter feed, and they can kind of do whatever they want on their Twitter feed. However, the millions of uh, followers that they have is a reflection of them being employed by ESPN. So so right. it, it's impo- it's impossible for... Even though she doesn't work there, but she's so, so famous about that, it was impossible for Jamel Hill to make a statement as Jamel Hill and not ESPN's Jamel Hill. And and so the, you know the the I think the ESPN I know the ESPN looked at that as like we're investing a lot in you. You know there are certain things that that you just have to do for for us. And 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 it's uh, you know not doing politics just as politics is one of those things.
0: Yeah, listen man, you know, I know at the end of the day in the end, you take their money, you got to play by their rules. I I would say though and and I think this is an honest assessment. I do think a lot of times the rules sort of change by the week. I do think discipline is different for certain people than not. I do think they decide sort of um in certain times or certain whims what is politically acceptable and what is not. That said, I appreciate your viewpoint and I'd be the first to admit that I might have underestimated um, just th- the real impact that some of the stuff, even if it was online, had on fans out there. At the end of the day, and this is a truism, and I've always said this, This, this is, and I think John and I, this is where me and you agree, the ideal world for places like ESPN would be to be as apolitical as possible because ultimately that would bring the most eyeballs to your network, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that is your business. You are trying to get as many people watching your content as possible. And the way to do that is to really avoid any controversy. What I would just argue, though, is especially in 2018, is that you're doing a dereliction of your duty as an editorial place if you do that. But I, I understand. Um, you're but I, I think also
1: I where we're different on this is um, you're coming this uh, at this from a, a consumer pub, you know, both uh, – the athletic and sports illustrated before that right you know i'm coming at this from and i cover the business so so my sources are all sort of you know my my audience is, is uh our business executives and my my yep. main sources are are people in the business and and i'm not uh, so, so that's the way that's the way that they're looking at this that's the way they're coming at this and i can completely understand if they uh it, you know if the consumers look at it differently yeah and i listen and lebron's man, this a
0: <laughs> this is why sorry, I, uh, <laughs> sorry about that sorry. this yeah right this is why uh this <laughs> we have Lebon, lebron commentary on here this is why <laughs> this is why i like having you uh i like having you on the podcast because um we do come in from it differently and i and I, I probably have more talent sources than you and you certainly have more business sources than me and so um i think that sort of shapes probably both our povs including where we work so um so I appreciate that, uh, and I appreciate your your perspective. And not everybody's going to like either of our takes, but um, but that's fine. Um, all right, the last one, John, I want to go on is you. You have a big story on changes to around the horn, and you know I, I have to give around the horn credit in terms of it's not a show I particularly have always loved, but it it its longevity is really really impressive, and they have um they have over the years i think gotten to be a more i don't know if this is the right phrase but sort of serious minded show they certainly got a lot of really smarter people on there um and it's been rewarded in that it's you know it's one of espn's most successful entities ever and starting august november 5th they're moving at least the the real tony reality parts moving to the espn seaport studios in lower manhattan and there maybe you can explain this to me there's like a whole new graphics package and they're doing like augmented reality it's uh it seems very elaborate john what the, what, yeah, what is it, going it's on it's sort the, of like, around a,
1: reimagine around the horn for for 2018 and uh, and and that's what you have one of the things that that i really like about uh, around the horn is that you know it launched in 2002 as sort of like a first take of sorts, right? Just kind of like right. a bunch of people getting together and yelling at each other and just kind of disagreeing uh, with each other. Uh, and and but it was technically in 2002. I don't want to overstate and say it was a marvel, but it was unique. I mean, they, they, this was before CNN had their 20 box uh, TV screens. I mean, they had you know four <laughs> right. people in a, four different boxes up and Tony Reali interacting with no delay whatsoever with the, with each of them, and it was it was pretty unique. Uh, they have uh, not changed that since 2002. Uh, you know, about maybe two or three years ago, they, they were like, oh, we really got to get up with the times and change some things. And Rideholm, who I have a ton of respect for, as I know you do as well, yeah, he, said, he said no because the, the changes were going to be too much focused on, you know, the bells and whistles and less on the interplay between, and, and the conversations and the interplay between the, the, the cast. And so he said no back then, this, he thinks, is a lot will, – it will be a lot more seamless, uh, what we'll see. It's like, you know, it, it's basically, you know, uh, people kind – of, you're not quite talking to an, um, a hologram, but, you know, the, the guy's uh, picture is going to come out and Tony Raleigh is going to be able to have a one-on-one conversation with somebody and, you know, di- different bells and whistles going on with it. And it's kind of cool, but the whole ethos of of the show – Is the interplay between Tony and the four guests and the interplay between uh, among the four guests, and that's that's something that stuck with it as well,
0: yeah. And you know what? I mean, the all those shows in the afternoon for ESPN since they're sort of their heyday in the uh mid to late 2000s, they've dropped a lot in viewership, but percentage wise, that thing is still holding up pretty good given the TV universe. Um, the same with
1: PTI, um.
0: It'll be Boy, Fox Sports One see. figured that
1: out. That whole that whole <laughs> it's now a two hour block uh, with high noon in there too. That whole right. block of of studio programming is almost impenetrable and has been for you know a, a good decade or more.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, ESPN's not going to touch that because it sort of still remains it's its, um, it's you know its most consistent kind of audience. Again, it's down from the million nine hundred thousand numbers that it was uh a number of years ago. But what it does now in sort of that sports TV universe is 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 still impressive. And you're right, FS one can't really touch it. And I'm not sure they're gonna touch it anytime soon. John, do you see Around the Horn as a show that um man, you think it gets another twenty years? I mean the the one thing about it is like all you really need to do is um continue to stock the talent there, which they should always have, including moving moving people sort of who's, um, who are new to ESPN or sort of new to the Ride Home group. Uh, reality is still generally a young guy, so if he wants to do that, he's got a number of years left. And I would think ESPN management is not going to touch that. I mean, again, that's a show that sort of gives them uh, what they want, you know, uh, uh, consistency, levity. Even if they go into little political areas, they never really go that deep, so it's not going to get him in trouble. I feel like that show is um, – it might even have a longer shelf life than PTI, because well, that show doesn't necessarily revolve around, you know, two figures who we've known for all this time. That that, that 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 show, you know, you can
1: get new people to be part of the Around the Horn group. The drop-off, um, speaking as a Washingtonian here, the drop-off when either Wilbon or Kornheiser is not on PTI is huge in terms of uh, – just in terms of – I don't want to say quality, but just comfortableness, right? It, it just it, view, it, by it, the way, it, view,
0: viewership too. Viewership, yeah, it becomes a too.
1: different show completely. I mean, the, 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 those two have a, a um, you know multi-decade bond. I think it goes back to the 1970s, for goodness' sakes, of doing right. this and talking. And they they they're so different, and they they obviously love each other, and it just it just works, and it works with those two. And so PTI can can exist, but it won't be nearly. As much of a hit as as it is with with uh, uh, Tony and Mike, I tend to see, yeah, I feel feel that. the same way with, uh, with with Around the Horn, uh, but but only as it pertains to reality. I think Reality is a, a a real talent when it comes to that type of show, and I think that he he directs it well, he he, he handles it well, he asks good questions, and uh, is able to draw people out. And um, if to, if Reality were were to go on, you may see some sort of drop off there. But I think of of the four guests, you know, you, you can insert any one of them or bring out any one of them. And, um, you know, it'll continue to go.
0: I agree with you. Yeah. I think, uh, if reality leaves that show, um, is not that show anymore, I think, and no offense to the, you know, Isola's and Mina Kimes and, uh, Kalashaw's and the rest of those cats. Um, that, that, that's the place where it's pretty replaceable. It's, it's the reality part of the show that you can't, uh, change. And I give reality a lot of credit, as you said, in your story. Um, You know, he has gone out and tried to bring new voices and people in there, and he's now got a lot of juice in that world. So he's, you know, he's not just a host. He's essentially like a host-slash-producer. And, you know, that's good to see when guys sort of use their juice to go out and do stuff. All right, John, we'll end with this. Uh, You've given me 40-something minutes. I appreciate that. That around the horn piece, John, has been pushed by ESPN PR (laughs) like no piece I have seen in a while. And this also, obviously— Um, You know, all of us who write probably can sometimes get into this position. But it has to be weird, John, when you your piece is being pushed by the Bill Hoffheimers of the world and the rest of the ESPN PR staff, because I'm sure there are some cynics out there, John, who would be like, my God, is John O'Ran now working for ESPN PR when I know for a fact he's not. So is it is it weird when uh, I mean, I would think at at a certain point, ESPN may hold a town hall and they just may read your piece and then send everybody (laughs) home. That will be the town hall. So what has it been like, John? Because I've seen you around the horn piece everywhere.
1: I consider myself a hard-nosed journalist, Richard. I really do. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I tell PR—I tell PR executives this all the time. When they retweet my stories, it just it, it cuts it cuts my my legs off. I try to be a you know. I think I'm a generally a, a fair reporter, right? But it, uh, that does make yeah. that does make it look like it, it uh, comes straight from ESPN PR. But uh, truth be told. They opened it up. They invited me to, to the South Sports Studios. I got to uh, I got to see one of the uh, rehearsals that they were doing, so I was able to see how it works. So, it, it, you know, it, it's a type of story. That one story is a type of story that's really hard to do a hard story on, right? I mean, you can't be overly negative on something like that because you're just you're reporting on what's going to happen. And so I was pleased to get in, in there. But, yeah, geez, enough. Hoff, enough. Even <laughs> LaPlaca got into it and, and retweeted it last night.
0: Oh, he took a break from his Lake Cuomo vacation or something like that. Um, the, uh, well, the thing, the thing, John, is like that. You know, me and you, as we like to joke with, our, with each other on Twitter, uh, when we'll call, you know, we we'll use the phrase latte, which is ge- generally speaking either a PR person or an agent dropping an easy story, usually transactional in a lap. But that's not that the Around the Horn story, John. It, I would not consider a latte, that's an access story. And there are obviously people who do not like access stories, but but you did, you know, that's not one where you got basically, you know, hey, this whole change is going to happen. Here's we're going to give you the press release early, do what you want with it. You literally had to travel and, and sort of do some uh, shoe leather on that. So I would not, I don't have a phrase. I need to come up with one. It's not a lot. <laughs> I know. Wait,
1: time. I I wouldn't necessarily call it shoe leather, but I did. I did go up there and uh, <laughs> and,
0: uh, and uh, Am 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 Amtrak leather or some some kind of leather.
1: And I can uh, confirm yeah, I did- that uh, Hoffheimer did offer me a coffee, not a latte, but I only took a water.
0: He did. Hmm. I, uh, well, that's good. No, don't take anything else. I, I, uh, I'm, it, 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 we've covered a lot on this podcast, but one of the things, uh, John, when I have you back, and you'll probably be back within the month, is, um, l- let us see if ESPN does any kind of outreach with Monday Night Football. That's just one thing. I would tell you to keep your eye on, and I wonder if to try to. I hate the. I know people don't like the word over the overuse of the word narrative, but let us see if they try to make Jason Witten, Tessitore, Booger McFarland, maybe a little more. Maybe not available is the right word, but maybe to kind of push them into places where they might get some good pub because I think they really could use it, and that'll be interesting to me to see if. You know, you know if I were going to go out
1: PR advice, I would. Uh, sure. I, I might suggest that they go the opposite route and just say, like, you know what, work on work on the craft. Let's not get, let's oh, not get people let's not get people out there where you're talking about different things and then it's easy to take shots. Let's let's try to man. It's too late now because they they were out there before the season. But now let's just try to manage the expectations. And and by managing yeah, expectations, we just don't want you. We, we don't want to do any kind of press blitz, even if what you were talking about is like one outlet or two.
0: All right, interesting. A little grit and grind, Tony Allen, Memphis Grizzlies style. All right, that's what maybe. Right? Well, maybe we we will see what happens on that. All right, John. Anything else you want to talk about before we we get you out of here? You've, you've graciously given me forty something minutes of. Uh, of free content so thank yeah, you yeah if
1: anybody is uh is still around i did write one story this week that I, I i think is a i had a ton of fun to do and it was one of uh john skipper's first interviews um since uh going over to DAZN, and he just uh, did a yeah. huge deal with golden boy and the story yeah. which is Canela. on sportsbusinessjournal.com is just a behind the scenes about sort of how he uh how he just got back into the game basically. And it was it's uh it's a I thought it was a pretty good read, so I, I'm hoping to get a little pub on that one.
0: Yeah, John, I have not read it, but does he go into um does he go in at all into um the end of his ESPN tenure? Uh clearly uh things spiraling out of control in his personal life, addiction, uh or is this more of um uh, uh, centered centered on his new role at the Zone, which is a very very big role given the kind of money that they have.
1: This story is uh, strictly about the uh, Zone and the deal that he made. I can say that when I did start to ask him about the uh, you know the leaving ESPN and sort of you know his, his personal life uh, since then, you know he gave an answer which I'm sure he's give, given to other reporters and is going to keep giving for the next year. Which is that he said all, all that he wants to say on that, and he doesn't want to revisit it. So it's it, okay. you know a, a sit down one on one when somebody just kind of says that. I just my, you know, my my main story on this was was about the deal that he just did.
0: Yeah, I, I and that's going to be something um, to consider for those of us who interview him. They, they, there's no one I think made it. Uh, they sort of reached out once to sort of keep it into sort of the business aspect of it, but I'm I'm you know. I feel like if I'm going to do something long form with Skipper, I think every question has to be out there. But, but I'm glad you have nothing else. You asked it, and he. Uh, well, I mean,
1: so I, yeah. I asked the question, and he gave his answer. And if I asked the question in a different way, he would have given the same answer. And if I asked the question in a different way, he would have given the same answer as well. So, it right? Yeah. To me, it wasn't. You know, I could have kept doing that, and, and, and uh, would have ended up with a you know page thirty story.
0: Yeah, and Dizon is a really interesting story in terms of. Um, where they're headed, just again, because they have a lot of money. And it'll be really interesting to see when some more premier rights come up, what uh, what they do. All right, John O'Rand is the fine media reporter for the Sports Business Daily and Sports Business Journal. You can catch his work in those two publications, catch him uh, on Twitter, where he's, uh, he's sending out interesting stuff. And uh, he has confirmed here that he is not a member of the around the horn public relations department so we've 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 got some we've got to the bottom of that uh John, as always, I appreciate your time. I know you were on trainer's podcast a couple weeks ago it's been nice to have you back here john it's I was wondering my, if I was going to be
1: allowed back
0: i have you i have you i have my exclusivity tag back on you now <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, there's no exclusivity tag for, for <laughs> train and I can't afford any 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 budget for exclusivity. Traina pays as well as you pay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, John, thanks so much, and uh, we'll check back with you soon. Thanks, Artie. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to John O'Ran for 50 minutes or so of uh, some fun sports media talk. Uh, I always love having O'Ran on, and we are we definitely have different takes, um, especially sort of our POVs when it comes to the nexus of politics and. ESPN, but I appreciate him on, um, and you know, the his his, his you know, the one thing I sort of always can say is does, does my my opinion or subjectivity doesn't mean I'm right, just sort of my POV. So I appreciate uh, I always appreciate talking with him. Previous podcast guests prior to John O'Rand, Rachel Nichols, and Candace Parker were on before. Uh, Rachel Nichols of ESPN, Candace Parker now of Turner, both talking about basketball broadcasting and other stuff. Jamel Hill was episode 23. You can check uh, that out. Yahoo! Sports writer Chris Haynes, Renee Young, who's doing great work for the WWE, and then just head down the list from Adam Schefter, Chine Ogumake, Rebecca Lowe, Brett McMurphy, Frank Isola. Please, uh, if you like this content, um, leave us a review and a rating, and subscribe because that really is the only way this will continue. Alright, from my producer, Lou Pellegrino for Cadence 13... This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.